Hello, this is Stefan from the 2.1 cast. Just letting you guys know that this week James and I found a little corner of a coffee shop in the Merchant City in Glasgow to record a podcast that looked through the semi-final action of the League Cup this weekend. We'll be back fully and properly with Neil and hopefully in quieter surroundings, but we hope for now you'll enjoy this podcast and we'll get back to it properly next week. Thanks. James, we've had two semi-finals um, of contrasting um, outcomes. I guess based on what people were assuming was going to happen, even though both kind of seemed like far-going conclusions. One ended up being that way, one definitely didn't. Let's start with the more interesting one, in my opinion, um, which was Aberdeen versus Rangers. Um, I recently had an Aberdeen friend after the game say to me that, you know, he kind of thought it was ridiculous that people were were, were writing Aberdeen off. And I said, well, Surely the game points out that that's truly not the case because you know Rangers thumped Aberdeen for like 80 minutes. Aberdeen knocked a goal in from the corner, and that's kind of all she wrote. Am I being unha- am I being harsh there or? I don't think so. I mean, I wasn't impressed with Aberdeen. I mean, like fair play to them, they won. Like ultimately, that's all that matters. So like, I mean, yeah, like I don't think the fans will be complaining or anything like that. But at the same time. Aberdeen were were not good. You know, it just happened. This happened to be a Rangers team that also were having a particularly poor day. I think it was a bad game of football. I don't think any neutral would have really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, although having said that, pleased to see Lewis Ferguson getting the goal. Like he seems to have like been like a real, really big player for him this season. That's two really big goals he scored for Aberdeen, isn't it already? I know. Like so, like you know, he's he's only what, like 18, 19. I mean, and he's already cemented himself in that midfield. Like, yeah, like I think. Aberdeen fans will be very pleased with that and they'll obviously be delighted with the outcome but I don't think it was a very inspiring performance from, from either side. I mean obviously Rangers were just totally toothless in attack without Lafferty and Morelos which yeah, has a touch of misfortune to that but at the same time you know, they need to have another option available that's good enough and I think Umar Tadik showed that he's just obviously not ready to play at this level. You know, I felt a bit bad for him to be honest but, but then, he, oh, then he also tried that Thing where he dived after trying to skin the goalie and like so yeah nah actually I don't feel bad for him at all. <laughs> I, I I just kind of even as the game was going on I felt like I was basically just kind of writing Aberdeen's obituary. Do you know that I was complaining about the way that <clears throat> you know there, there wasn't really anything going forward. James Wilson still looks like a ghost of the player he's supposed to be apparently. Really still absolutely baffled. I know this is. Aberdeen or Derek McInnes' teams have always been like this, come win or lose, but I'm just still really annoys me. They, they just seem incapable of counter-attacking or passing with any kind of precision. There's no real, you know, there's, there doesn't seem to be any real gel between these teams. Players, I know, I know that's just kind of Aberdeen and Derek McInnes 101, but it makes it all the harder to appreciate what they're doing. And, you know, this didn't feel to me like um, a game in which we suddenly saw Aberdeen, you know, emerge from the the, the the rubble and show, oh, right, this is the Aberdeen team that are now going to push back up the table and claim third or second place. It was the same Aberdeen team we've basically seen all season so far, except they scored a goal, you know, because it was still the same. I mean, don't get me wrong, Aberdeen are still quite good defensively. They've got McKenna, they've got Devlin, you know, Constein did well, Logan looked kind of back to his old self to an extent, um, and obviously Joe Lewis is fantastic in goals, um, and they were very resolute in midfield and things, but it didn't feel to me like a team that was suddenly, um, you know, coming alive and came, like, stepped up to the plate. 
you know what I mean? No, yeah, and I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think also the stats bear that out. I mean, you know, Aberdeen, okay, they were never going to have a lot of the ball, but they only had about 33% possession. And yet they still managed to give the ball away 123 times, which is quite impressive, you know. Um, but I think, interestingly, one of the things that I was looking at stats after the game, and one of the things that jumped out was that Aberdeen actually had more shots on target than Rangers did. Aberdeen only had seven shots the entire game. Three of them were on target. Rangers had 18 shots with just one on target, which is a Tavernier one, I think. So I mean, it just shows you, like, yeah, Rangers they went forward and they, to the extent they created opportunities, but there's there's no one in that team that was there that could take them. Yeah. You know, and I think Aberdeen sort of rode their luck a wee bit in that sense. You know, like I think when you look at the like, Aberdeen, they were they were at least active defensively in that you know they made loads of clearances uh, a lot of interceptions made it, committed quite a lot of fouls as well um, which you know to be fair you know it worked they got their clean sheet in the end but I just think if they were playing against even a slightly more incisive opponent or just an opponent that had a functional striker I don't think that result would have went that way I think it would have been yeah I, I think Aberdeen probably would have went out Let's pick up on that then. So we've basically belittled Aberdeen's achievements. So let's move on to Rangers and really back to them, I suppose. Oh yeah. Um, Gerard decided to go with uh, Sadiq Ndir up front, Nadir Sadiq rather. Um, and as we now know, it was a terrible decision. How much of that falls on Gerard? How much of it falls on the player? You know, could he have done something different? Is this all Alfredo Morelos's fault, which I heard apparently today? Ultimately, it's Gerard's fault. I mean, I think he's unfortunate that he was missing both Lafferty and Morelos. Like, Lafferty, okay, he would have known that when as soon as he signed him, Morelos, it's unfortunate. But ultimately, Sadiq was brought in as the third choice striker, and like, okay, you might not want to have to play him in a League Cup semi final, but at the same time, you know you're going to have to play him at some point, and it's, it's clear that he's just was nowhere near at the left game time because he's not had enough game time. You know, maybe he's just struggling a wee bit with that, but he's. Yeah, I think the fall does play does fall with Gerard, you know, and uh, I think that it is worrying for Rangers in that you know they still their their away record is just really poor in, in Scotland at least anyway. It technically, wasn't a away game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was not Ibrox, you know, put it that way. Like, so Ibrox, they're from from on the road in Scotland at least. They seem to really really struggle, and that's bec it's becoming more and more of a thing. Like, I think that. We saw that under Marty to an extent, mm. and maybe it's something that, even though he's brought in all these new players, it's still something that seems to be creeping, creeping up and up again. So maybe it's just down to the fact that, for whatever reason, there's a lot of these players in this squad that just don't travel well, and until they do that, Gerard's got to find a way to play more effectively away from home. Whether that's just being maybe a wee bit more defensive, a wee bit more counter-attacking, because as I say, like yeah, Aberdeen went into that game happy not to have the ball, mm. but what would have happened if? Ranger said, "Well, as a joke, we're not that fussed for the ball either. You know, just you know, leave the uh, say let Aberdeen seize the initiative and then see what happens. See if you can then exploit that. Mm -hmm. But I think that it was maybe a little naive of Gerard, I guess, and that he just yeah, he, they went for it even though they didn't have the tools to really do so, and ultimately it's cost them. Yeah, I was really surprised that he went with the what was obviously the striker that he went with. I really thought Gresda would have started." Especially since he came on in the Moscow game late on, um, I know he's not a standout, standalone striker, but it just struck me as very odd that they didn't try be a bit more original rather than going with the striker that not only hasn't played that much, but Gerard has actually berated him 
personally a few times already this season and he wasn't he didn't waste any time doing it after the game as well so this obviously isn't a, this obviously isn't a player that has any long-term plans um, at Rangers uh, in the long term so I, I just I just baffled me to an extent if Gerard doesn't believe he's a good player if he obviously doesn't because he hasn't been playing then why throw him in why not try and move your system around yeah exactly could have tried I know Ryan Kent's much better from a deep line position um, and maybe Middleton is too Candace is an out striker but, but at least they're all competent footballers yeah exactly and I don't know I, I really think if you had Morelos or Lafty in that team it, on Sunday then it would be a completely different game and I did have some people you know I feel like the, the criticism even began to kind of seep off Sadiq towards other players I've seen a lot of people criticise Candace and I thought well I actually thought he was one of Rangers' best players. I he had an okay game, yeah. yeah. And then, to go off. Well, a lot I think the criticism came about from the way his 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 final ball and the only thing I'd say to that is that he's been so good this season at finding Morelos. The two of them obviously work so well and you have to, I think you feel you can have to appreciate that when a, you've got a player who sets up goals week in, week out for a certain type of player and when that player then steps out and another player is making different runs, maybe he's not running at all, maybe he's expecting different types of balls in, then to someone watching the game it could look like the winger is the one constantly making the wrong making the wrong passes when in fact it's usually the striker who's making the wrong the wrong the wrong runs. Um, and I thought that's what happened on Sunday to be honest. Yeah it's an interesting point you make about the passing actually, because I was looking at like their lateral passing for our Rangers and like it's about eighty six percent accuracy, which is not bad and then but as soon as they started playing forward going into the final third, it dropped to 73%, which is not only obviously a, dro a huge drop off from the rest of their passing, but it's also a drop off from their average uh, sort of last, uh, forward passing as well, it's about another 5 or 6%, so yeah, oh, like, really? as you say, it is particularly poor in this instance, it's also this like, a wider problem, but I mean, I think on the other hand as well, to be fair, every team in the world you know, it's going to have some sort of drop off when they start moving the ball forward because they've got more players to get by and all the rest of it. But it's certainly an issue with the Rangers team, it's not, and it's not the first time this season that's been a big problem either. Like there's been a real sort of disconnect between the attack and the midfield. And I think yeah. in this instance, it was because there was no focal point at all in attack anyway team for in the first place. You know, I, I think another player that Rangers really missed on Sunday actually was Scott Arfield as well. Um, Earlier in the season, I was still kind of myth as to what he actually did in this Rangers game, Rangers team rather, and the kind of eureka moment actually came for me away to Villarreal when he was running around like a headless chicken. He was losing the ball, and I thought this guy just has no discipline. He's not. He's nowhere near the central midfielder I thought he was supposed to be because I thought he was meant to come in and be this kind of playmaker. He's not that at all. But then he scores a goal late on with a late run into the box, and I realised right, that's actually what he's meant to do in this team. He runs around a lot. Sometimes he's not the best dribbler. He's not the best passer. Perhaps he doesn't. Don't get me wrong. He's a good passing the ball, but primarily it seems to me that he's in this team to make late runs into the box and score. And I felt like that's something Rangers really missed on Sunday because they had Koulibaly, Jack, and then they also had Ajaria. Uh, and Jack obviously does a very obvious role. I think Ajaria does too to an extent. He's maybe more of a kind of forward line playmaker. Yeah. But he's still kind of side to side. And Koulibaly is kind of similar to Jack maybe in that sense and I thought did you really need Koulibaly and Jack in there to do that role especially against an Aberdeen team that aren't really going to counter-attack with any precision you know and you know especially in a game where your strike your main focal point up front the striker isn't up to much if you had another player running in right behind him that offers so much more you know so yeah 
you know, that's the only thing I'd really add. Yeah, Rangers clearly missed a Morelos or Lafty, but I think they also missed someone like Arfield who could make that run in. Um, and I do wonder if that's just kind of Gerard's naivety as a coach at this level, where he's like semi-final, we have to hold on. I'm not saying he was, you know, uh, particularly defensive or, or cautious in his setup, but um, I just I don't know. I just felt like um, Rangers were doing the same thing throughout the whole game, and maybe in the 50th, 60th minute, you're like, right, it looks like it's an airport that are going to score here, but it never came. And when they went a goal down, he takes off Candace, who's probably the only player I thought who was really... Kent was doing it too to an extent, and I know he's a fan favourite for Rangers right now, but I thought Candace was the one who was really kind of getting to the byline and getting the ball in the box. And, and when he took him off, I was like, what's he doing? And it's almost like it was like this premeditated thing anyway. He's like, well, get to the 80th minute, nothing happens, Candace comes off no matter what. You know, so I think, you know, Rangers fans are quite upset about it. Um, and I think it does kind of show, you know, Gerard is still a work in prog progress here. You know, he's not he's not a Walter Smith who's going to come in and say, you know, he's done this a hundred times, he knows what to do when there's 15 minutes left in the clock in the semi-final and you find, find yourself a goal down because I don't think Rangers really dealt with that very well at all. However, I'm more interested in your opinions on the other coach because James, you famously said on this podcast that you thought McInnes was going to be one of the first coaches sacked. I did. Now, interestingly enough, I think this result could ultimately maybe save his season to an extent. Do you know that? Or save his? I don't think he's ever going to get sacked at Aberdeen, right? right? To an extent, but I feel like getting to this final is basically completely flipped the narrative around on Dart and Derek McInnes. I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, obviously it's a great result, and all credit to him, he's reached another final. You know, uh, I think that's the yeah, the fourth or something like that. So like, I did the maths actually. I think it's more than they've reached in the in the uh, oh god, what was it, the ten or fifteen years prior to him joining the club? But yeah, it would not surprise me at all. Yeah. So like, no, like fair play, and I'll give him that. But like at the end of the day, the League Cup, it, it's fun, but it's not the most important legal competition. <sighs> I know that's right. I'm slag slagging off the cup, but a bold stance. But when you look at like, you know, yeah, like I think ultimately it's, it's the league performances that are going to define Derek McInnes's Aberdeen at the moment. And right now they've they've not really impressed in the league. Like it's not only that they've not picking up points, but they're not really playing well. Even the games where they are picking up points, there's been plenty of them. Like you know, like think of like the Rangers game where they just nicked a goal, or like you know, I think there's been a few where they've like just you know nicked late goals and they've played kind of poorly and but still got the result. Yeah. Paradoxically, almost. This is probably McInnes's worst season so far, but he's now got a draw and a win against Rangers. Where in the last yeah. in the last three seasons, he's basically beat every other team, but incredibly underperformed against Celtic and Rangers. Have they played Celtic. They have, haven't they? Uh, My mind's gone full game. Aberdeen fans probably shouting at us right now. I can't remember <laughs> if they have. Not that I recall, but certainly not a pathology anyway. But yeah, wouldn't that just be like typical Scottish football if? He's finished sixth or seventh this season, but still managed to get to a cup final or two, whilst you know, finally showing himself, showing some balls against Celtic Rangers. I, I don't think that's good enough, though. I mean, this is a team that's finished second the last what, three seasons in a row, four seasons in a row. Like, you know, to go from second to say, like, say they finish even fifth, let's say, finishing fifth and then reaching the League Cup final, that's not good enough if you were the second best team in the country and you have ambitions of like staying there. You know, like that drop off in the league is significant, and it, like saying that we reached a league cup set, league, league cup final, though, that's mm. not enough. Yeah, I mean, if they win it, maybe, but like I don't see that happening. I mean, Aberdeen they never turn up in these games against Celtic, like in these finals, they never do. Well, like I just said, they might finally do it. No, but <laughs> I, 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 I'll kind of push back on that slightly. 
because I think what we've seen over the last three seasons is, although Aberdeen fans are obviously eternally grateful for what McInnes has done to the club, I think they're now getting to the point where a lot of them are like, right, well, you know, we don't have any silverware. I know they have got a cup, but they haven't got a huge amount to show for it, despite the finals. So I'd actually maybe go so far as to say if they were to win a cup this season, maybe get to another final or semi-final and finish fifth or sixth, fans would probably be willing to accept that more than second place or third place without any silverware to an extent, you know? That's interesting, that, because I, I mean, neither of us are Aberdeen fans, so we don't well, know, but I would, yeah. I would argue, I'd say it's probably the opposite, it's true, but I, I, I see where you're coming from, though, yeah. because like, they've, they've already done that, like, yeah. so, well, we need some more tangible success, that makes yeah. sense, but... And do you know what, I've kind of flip-flopped on McInnes to an extent, I've kind of done stuff on him quite a lot this season, you know, and looked at, you, you, could, you could really easily go through the numbers at Aberdeen, and I did for the Herald, actually, a week or two ago, being like, look, you know, defensively they're fine, but what they really lack is they're just not scoring anywhere near as many goals. And when you look at the numbers behind it, you're like, well, it's because they're missing McLean and Christie, and they basically just didn't sign anyone to replace them. You know, yeah, it's great that Ferguson has scored two goals since he arrived at the club, but he's replacing a guy who scored like 12 last season or something. You know, and and then when you dig into that a little further, you then wonder, well. Is that because they're building a new stadium? The board have said to them, look, you're just going to have to tighten your belt this season because we've got this X, Y, and Z to pay for. And this season's basically almost like a transition for McInnes and the club where they're like, the budget's been slashed because we're building the stadium. Just try and keep in the top six. I think, I think it's maybe a bit of both in that, yeah, as you say, obviously, that, that will be a reality. You know, to build the stadium, like, that will have, like, that will impact their finances, of course it will. But at the same time, McInnes also has a great track record, as we've said before, of just not replacing players anyway. Like, and that's when they've not had this like obstacle yeah. of the stadium. So it's probably a bit of both. I think McInnes might well have said, "Oh, I want these players," and the board have said, "Well, tough. We need to forget the stadium." But I also would not be surprised at all if it just turned out that they just thought that Derek McInnes is like, "Ah, oh, no, we'll be fine. We've got Andy Considine, like man for all seasons. It's fine." Pretty sure it's a chant. We'll be fine. We've got Andy Considine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Um, Let's move on to the other game then, Celtic Hearts. Now, like I said at the top of the show, I don't think this is that interesting. I mean, the extent of my kind of feedback from this game is Celtic won because they always win. And I don't mean that in a flippant remark. I mean, like, if there's one thing Rodgers has done since he got to Celtic is that they always, always show up for these big games, you know? Yeah. I think I wrote a piece for the article, like, on the website back in February, being like, Celtic will win because they always win. And that's kind of where I've stood on this. Well, I think, like, the first half, Celtic weren't particularly good actually. I thought Hearts were doing pretty fine. I mean obviously Naismith went off, that's a big blow in that you know, he occupies that space between the midfield and the attack and if he's not there then you know it's it became a lot more difficult for Hearts to sort of get on the ball and create chances going forward. But I think for the most part they actually did fine. Actually I thought that the first half reminded me a lot of the game at Tynecastle earlier in the season where they went on to win. Yeah. And that, you know, they it's pretty pretty tight, pretty cagey. But in Hearts the problem is they don't respond well to going behind. No. I mean, we saw it, you know, against the uh, Rangers. They just, you know, they, they really didn't do well. Again, again, yeah, Ham. Oh, sorry, Murrayfield. Again, like the same sort of things happened in that they went behind and the wheels have just came off. I mean, like there's uh, the penalty was maybe a penalty, maybe not. But you know, who cares? It, it got awarded. Fine. The the second goal was just oh, really, really dreadful. You know, and then the third goal, the Christie ones, just a brilliant shot. So. All of a sudden, they went from a position of being like, oh, we're doing okay, and then, you know, what, 10, 15 minutes later, it's like, no, the game is done, and we are out. And I think, if you look back at Hearts' performances this season, 
there's been two games where they've went behind they've actually went on to win which is against Hamilton and Motherwell mm. but in both occasions those sides scored really early on like 10 minutes or so in so they had the entire game to think yeah. right okay how are we going to react how are we going to do this but I think because they conceded so like sort of relatively late on in terms of the duration of the entire match mm. they didn't really have much of an opportunity to turn things around and I think that obviously as well it's difficult just going behind the Celtic it's hard for any team to t- try and turn that around but I think because the kind of thing about the Celtic team is once you go a goal down to them you then play into their game plan yeah. which is hit you on the brake to an extent and that's exactly what we saw isn't it yeah uh, like yeah as I say like Celtic they're great at doing that just, and then just picking teams off and that's what it did to like, great success at uh, the weekend but as for Hearts fans perspective I'd be disappointed with the result but I actually think for a lot of the game they played fine I don't think they were particularly great but I don't think they were particularly poorly either I think yeah. there's a couple of small incidents that have just you know that's when they wanted to find the game and that, that's just football that happens but I think the big takeaway from it is just obviously the injury to Stephen Naismith and I think we've the hearing it's gonna be like what six weeks, seven weeks, something like that. Peter Haring's out as well, actually, as well for a hernia operation. Yeah, they're missing a huge amount of players actually. Yeah, so I, I'd we're be worried about that if yeah. I was a Hearts fan. We're recording this now before the Edinburgh Derby, like the night before, so right. a lot of people might be listening to this after the game. So, you know, maybe skip the next two minutes. But all I was really going to say was, I think for Hearts right now, this might sound a bit dramatic, but it's kind of just kind of like damage limitation between now and Christmas. I think where it's like. You've, you've had a great run but don't basically turn into last season's Motherwell team where you know you're flying high then you play Celtic they smack you down and all of a sudden the wheels come off through a number of different reasons and I think Motherwell I think Hearts fans can quite fairly say you know we, not only were we missing a number of players before the game but now we're missing a, even more afterwards you know Christoph Spera John Suter Ipuetsu's out as well you know um, Naismith and now Harry and that's like half the starting 11 basically you know um, and I, I really do feel like between now and Christmas when as these players might not even come back yet it's like let's just try and not go on like a seven game losing streak to an extent and that might be where last season's experience of like Craig Levine's side kind of grind out results does kind of come into play to an extent you know but I mean they couldn't have asked for two more difficult fixtures because they've got yeah, obviously the Edinburgh Derby where you know Hibs are obviously looking very dangerous going forward and then next up they've got Celtic at Parkhead, so yeah. it's yeah, it's a very difficult set of fixtures for them, and they'll do well, I think, just to yeah, not get tanked. Well, maybe not get tanked. That's gonna be a bit harsh, but like, they'll do well to get anything out of them, I think, because I mean, Edinburgh Derby, who knows what's gonna happen there, you know. Oh, Hips haven't won at Tynecastle since 2014, actually. So, but you're right. Uh, for me, it's, honestly, it's a coin toss for yeah. me. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen. But right. Well, in that case, it's let's kind of finish up on Celtic then. Okay. And, you know, rather than kind of just talking about the generic stuff, I mean, every Celtic fan's probably had their own views on what happened in the game. You know, everyone's probably listening to Sports Sound or whatever. Let's maybe focus in on Christie, I think it's a really interesting one here. He came, he comes on, you know, him and Sinclair are two of the most influential players when they came on. This is a few days after he started in Leipzig, and despite the result, I thought Christie did quite well there. And after the game, Rogers comes out and says, we want him to sign the contract, we want him to stay. Is this just Rogers kind of just kind of, you know, being a bit fluffy in the post-match interview? Or do you, or do you think Christie has a long-term spot in this team? Oh no, I, I think that he definitely does. I mean, obviously he's been farmed out in the last couple of seasons, but you, you don't 
like unless you're Chelsea, basically you don't do that. Let me like, put this a bit away for you. Okay. Is Christie an Armstrong or a GNS? Oh, he's an Armstrong, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think he. I think he's got a role to play, and like he's he's still very young, and he's still getting better with every season. So, I think I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, that's why you've bought him, you've, and I think that the potential's certainly there. And I think he's yeah, like him and like Morgan as well is another one who. I think yeah, right now they may be on the fringes of the squad, but I'd expect to see them get more and more game time as the season progresses because I think they're both good enough to have a, a future at Celtic. I think they definitely are, and I think you know they're both going to be probably in the Scottish national team as well, going like you know maybe going down the line. I think they'll be important players for us because those sort of players that can are very creative, that are very sort of. You forget how physical Christie is too, and actually he's a big guy. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah, he's not like a pushover either. He's like six foot one, six foot two or something, mm. quite I mean, broad. I mean, he's not got Armstrong's hair, you know, like, which is obviously <laughs> disappointing, but... No, yeah, I don't see why he can't get every bit as good as Armstrong. Like, I mean, I think he's probably about the same level as Armstrong was at that age, maybe. See, this is interesting, because I was having this debate with some Celtic fans on Twitter, actually, and a few of them are just kind of like ambivalent towards him, like, ah, you, you, you know... He, as I said, they were basically saying he's like GMS, you'll stick around for two or three seasons and end up at, uh, probably back at Aberdeen. And I thought, well, you know, you could look at it this way and say that he's currently two years younger than Cal McGregor and four years younger than James Forrest. And both of them were kind of distinctly average players at Celtic until two years ago when Brendan Rodgers showed up. Forrest maybe less so than McGregor, but McGregor was definitely like out of favour. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was a squad player at best. No one really had much interest in him. And Forrest was always known as this kind of one-trick pony who, you know, all of a sudden Rogers comes in and he turns them both into like superstars, at least the Celtic. And now they're both really, really influential players. And I was making the point that you know maybe that's exactly what Rogers sees in Christie. And even though I genuinely don't think a lot of Celtic fans have much time for Christie, from honest with you, I think a lot of them think, oh, you will Aberdeen's his level but you know a lot of people didn't have much time for McGregor or Forrest until Rogers kind of spotted this thing for him and he could basically do for Christie at his age now where he's only like 23 I think you know and over the next two years we could see him have the same sort of trajectory as we've seen with McGregor and Forrest you know yeah I think that's a really fair point and as you say yeah you know Rogers has that he's got a track record of doing this to these sort of players so I mean those are precisely the sort of players that do thrive under Rogers' leadership, yes. even at other clubs, you know. I've been tempted over the last couple of days to kind of call out the Rogers paradox, where um, he seems intent on signing ready-made players from England, even though he's clearly much better at taking these diamond in the rough kind of players and turning them into great players. That's a really good point, actually. You yeah. know, if, <laughs> yeah. you, if you were to kind of come up with like a list of like pros and cons at Celtic, all the things down the pros for Rogers would be the way he develops players, and all the cons would be how he keeps trying to buy expensive senior players yeah that's yeah. a very good point um, but, so that's 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 kind of the gist of what I've been thinking about since Sunday I suppose no yeah I think, I think that's fair um, I think that I think more worryingly the more maybe more pertinently to the rest of Scottish football is that Celtic over the last few games at least in Scotland seem to be reaching the levels they were under Rogers first season I mean there's the 6-0 spanking of St John's doing then there's the Hibs game which was just a bonkers game but again they, looked, they could have scored about 8 yeah. you know and then again and against Hearts the second half they've really turned it on again it, it seems like they've now got that back in their locker where they can just at, at a moment's notice just decide oh wait hang on we want to win the game now yeah. and they'll just turn it on for 5-10 minutes and then they'll just blow the opposition out the water yeah you could quite easily now see them going from there to the winter break just you know, win after win after win, 
leapfrogging hearts and off they go, sort of thing, can't you? I, I, I think, you know, like, Rangers, Aberdeen, Hearts fans, Hibs fans, like, they should all be worried at the moment because I think I would, I guess it's going to be the start of a pretty strong run from Celtic and they do look very solid at the moment, you know. This is all without Scott Brown as well. That's very true, yeah. So, you know, and it's interesting that he brought Cal McGregor back to play that kind of holding midfield role to extent. Took Kwasi off, who I'm still not convinced is actually up to the grade at Celtic, to be honest with you. And I think he kind of used an injury as an excuse because when he came off, it doesn't seem as though Kwasi was actually aware of it. But this is like maybe the seventh or eighth time I've watched Kwasi just randomly start in these games. He did it in Leipzig too, I think, and I just thought, I don't really know what he's meant to do in this game. You know? Yeah, he does look a bit sort of out of his depth at times, I think. He's sort of wandering around, just sort of, yeah. I, yeah, I get that. You know, lacks purpose, I think. Right, <laughs> okay. Well, um, cool, I guess that's us. Um, yeah, we will be back next week, hopefully in more serene, quieter uh, surroundings. This is a bit quieter than a pub, to be fair. We're getting a wee bit better. Yeah. Last week's one was, or the week before, actually, because we did the break. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with Neil in tow. Uh, yeah, we'll see you all then.